Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. I get up about 4.30 every morning, and uh, this morning I got up at 4.30, and I thought, wow, it's 3.30. Yeah, think about that for a second, huh? I said, man, it's early. That's what I thought. I'm, uh, I'm glad to see you, though. I'm glad that you're here. You know, we never know what to anticipate on days like today, to be quite honest. I always think they should do this on Monday morning, don't you? I'm just saying. Well, last week we started a brand new series called Life Hack. And if you've ever been through a tough time, a difficult day, if you've ever been through a difficult day that may be stretched into a difficult season, then this series is for you. Because what we're doing is we're, we're looking at some life hacks. That's the point of the series is to look at some life hacks from the New Testament book of James. They'll kind of get us through. It will get us through. These difficult days, these Trials and tribulations, that's what we church talk. You know what I'm talking about? Hello, are y'all out there? Trials and tribulations, that's what you're supposed to say it. And so uh, it'll, it'll help us. This book was written to help us get through those difficult days. And so in case you missed last week, the book of James was written by, that's right, I think that's funny, um, and, but this is not just any old James, this is actually James, the brother of Jesus. And the interesting thing about James is, while he was on earth, while Jesus was on earth, James didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He thought, you're not God, you're my brother. You're not God, you're my brother. I, I can't, I'm sorry, every single, I wrote that, and every single time, that's, I think that song. How many of you know what that song is? <laughs> in fact, in fact, Mark chapter 3 verse 21 says this. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. Here's what they thought. So his family, are you with me? The people that were the closest to him, they grew up in the same house. They looked at Jesus and said, you are out of your mind. You are a crazy man. That's what they thought. So even his brothers and sisters thought that he was crazy. And yet after Jesus' death, James cashes in all of his chips and he says, I'm in. I mean, I didn't believe before, but now I believe. And like, I'm totally in. I'm going to totally sell out. I want you, if you remember last week, I want you to be my master. I'm willing to be your slave. Not that I have to be, but because I want to be born into slavery. So that I allow you to take care of every need. I'm fully in. I'm fully sold out. I'm your slave and you're my master. So what card did Jesus play? What card did Jesus play that would make James make such a silly commitment that he would cash in all of his chips? Well, it's easy. It's the resurrection card. So when your big brother dies on a cross, three days later is raised from the dead and invites you to sit down and have a fish sandwich with him, 
I'm just saying, you'll think about that. Some of you are brand new to church and don't get that. Some of you have been around church a while, remember, right? And you'll go, oh, that's cool. It's kind of a neat little, yeah, feast sandwich. It's a game changer. It's absolutely a game changer. Everything that you thought before, everything that you thought was a lie, everything that you maybe doubted before, once you see somebody that died on the cross and was dead three days, and once you see that person alive and you know it's him and you're convinced of it, that it's him, I'm telling you, that's a game changer. In fact, tradition tells us that in Jerusalem, not long after this letter was written, a mob grabs James, takes him up to the top of the temple, and they throw him off the top of this temple. But James didn't die from the fall. And every time I've read that, and I remember studying the life of James, I thought, that, that would be like my luck, you know? Like an angry mob would grab me, put me to the top of the church, throw me over, and I would be the only person in history that wouldn't die from that fall. You know, and so I would be laying on the ground, and so James is laying on the ground literally praying for these people, Lord, forgive them, and I would be saying, God, really? Like I'm willing to die for you, and, and you let me survive this fall just to be in agony and pain? But that's not the kind of prayer that he prayed. And so he begins to pray this prayer Lord, forgive these people. They don't know what they're doing. And this man, there's a man that is so angry that James would dare pray such a thing that he takes a club, the same kind of club that they would use to beat out their rugs, and he hits him in the head and he kills him. So I would say that the resurrection is definitely a game changer. To go from not believing to believing enough to die for, it's a lot of belief. It's an incredible amount of belief. So James is writing to people that are going through some really hard times. And so he's giving them some practical advice on how to live out their faith in the real world. And really what this book is, another purpose of this book is to flesh out whether the faith that they say they have is real. And what we all know is that when you go through difficult times, it will question your faith, won't it? It'll cause you to question your faith. It'll cause you to question everything that you believe in or say that you have believed in but now you'll question, do you really believe? So these people were living in a world of hurt and pain and persecution. And it wasn't just any kind of persecution. It was persecution on steroids. Literally, these people were dying. They were being put to death because of what they believed. And so he says this, verse 5, <clears throat> if you need wisdom, If you need wisdom, like you guys are going through some difficult times, and so if you need some wisdom, then what you need to do is you just need to ask our generous God, and he'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So wisdom for what, you might ask? I think that's a pretty good question. So let's go back to a verse that we looked at last week, verse 2. <clears throat> he said, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy, which if you're like new to church, you're thinking, that's why I think you Christians are just weird. You're just weird, silly Christians. Who in the world else in the world would consider difficult times as, a t as something to be considered as great joy? Nobody would, right? So he says, when troubles of any kind come your way, and by any kind he means any kind. So can losing your job be in any kind? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can a bad doctor's report 
being any kind. Yeah, if you ever had one, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Can going through a divorce be in any kind? Absolutely. Can losing somebody that you love be in any kind? And again, the obvious answer would be, yes, of course it is. So when troubles of any kind come your way, we're to ask God for wisdom. Sounds awesome, right? But when all these trials and tribulations and difficult days that sometimes turn into difficult seasons come our way, what do we typically do? Well, I can't answer for you, but I know what I do every single time. And when I say every single time, I mean literally every single time. I tell you what I do, I pray. Even when I was angry at God, even when I was still angry at God that my dad died when I was 10 and I couldn't figure that out, God, why would you take a 10-year-old you know, boy's dad away from him? And I was angry at God. But occasionally when times would get difficult for me, when I would find myself in a bind, you know what I'm talking about? When I really needed something supernatural, then I would pray. And here's the thing. Here's what I recognize as I look back over it. It was like I was giving God a second chance. So I'm going through a difficult time. I start to pray. And it's like I'm looking at God saying, okay, now listen, here's the thing. Like you've blown it in the past, God. You've really messed up. I've prayed. I've prayed sincere prayers. I've asked you to show up and you didn't, so you blew it. So here's the thing. God, we're going to start over on a brand new leaf. I'm going to give you a second chance. Now, here's the thing. Now it's your opportunity to prove that you really are large and in charge, that you're God, that you love me. This is your opportunity, so don't blow it. So I might start off by saying, and and I, I literally, I've gone back and thought about this. I would always start off my prayer by saying, sweet Jesus, dear heavenly Father, Man, I hadn't talked to him in maybe weeks or months. And now my rear end is in a bind, and I'm going to give God a second chance. And so I realized that what I was doing, really, it was just manipulation. I'm trying to butter him up, you know. Sweet Lord Jesus, oh great God of the universe, creator of the heavens and the earth, you're awesome, oh Lord. But somewhere along the way, if God, like, didn't deliver me, then my prayer changes. The Lord, why don't you do something? I mean, I've been waiting, and I've been waiting, and I've been waiting, and you ain't done squat. And then I would almost, like, be up in his face. You've probably never done this because you're a lot more spiritual than I am, especially you're the early crowd. But, I mean, I would, like, be, so God, really, if you're, if you're all this If you're this powerful God, then where is your power? Show up and prove yourself. And honestly, that kind of praying never really worked very well for me. Who am I kidding? Never worked at all. Let me tell you what I found out. God really doesn't like me trying to push him around. And the the thing of it is, is it like that he hollered down and he screamed at me? He didn't. God was just patient. And God was quiet. And God continued to love me even though I could not understand it. And God, I learned, doesn't like me trying to manipulate and control him. So in my praying, I've had to learn how to take my manipulation. I've learned how to take my manipulation and turn it into observation. Hang that on the clothesline of your mind just for a 
and second. I've had to learn how to turn my manipulation into observation. Trials have a way of enhancing your prayer life, don't they? How many Christians, if you're gut level honest, how many, how many followers of Jesus, genuine followers of Jesus, how many of you, if you were gut level honest, right now would say, you know what, I found that I hadn't prayed in a very long time. And maybe if I prayed, my prayers were really short, they were really to the point, I really didn't have a whole lot to say. Most of the time, my praying would be in the car. I love it when people tell me that, say, well, you know what, I'm not really good, so I just pray on the way to work. So in other words, what we're saying is, God, you're not important enough for me to give you a slice of my day. I'll just work you in where I can. Ooh, that kind of hurt just a tad, didn't it? (laughs) And so suddenly what we find, we find ourselves in a bind, and then it drives us to our knees in prayer. Trials and tribulations can do that. And we're looking for some answers. What I've learned in my life is that godly wisdom changes my question. It changes my question from God, what are you doing to me? To God, what are you doing? What's your grander purpose in this thing that I'm going through right now? So it changes me. That's what I meant earlier when I said it changes my manipulation. Oh, sweet Jesus, if you could work right now on my behalf. And and Lord, great creator of the heavens and the earth and the universe, oh, great Easter God, if you could begin to work in my life, sweet Lord Jesus. It changes my prayers from being prayers of manipulation to prayers of observation When I find myself praying, saying, God, I know that you're up to something, Lord. I know that you love me with an incredible love. You proved that on the cross. And so, God, right now, what I want to do is I just want to stop. I want to shut up. I want to open your word. I want to allow you to speak to me. I want to be able to figure out what it is that you're trying to tell me. I want to see your grander purpose. So godly wisdom takes my manipulation and turns it into observation. Where do we usually go for wisdom when tough times hit? I would say that way too often, most of us try to rely on our own reasoning. Uh, We try to think it through with our own understanding, right? And that's usually where we get kind of ticked at God. Because most of the time, we think that God's a logical God. Two and two is four. And sometimes when you're praying, you go, God, can you even count? Like, can you count at all? Like two and two is four, but in your world, is it something different? Because I'm, you know, this, doesn't, this doesn't make sense. Because when I look at this from a logical perspective, from a human perspective, here's what I think you should do. Proverbs chapter 3, the, the word is just awesome. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. And why should... I not depend on my own, own understanding. Well, that's really easy because I'm not omniscient. I'm not all-knowing. I'm not all-wise like God. So when I trust in me more, in, more than I trust in him, it always, it always leads me down a very bad road. It does every single time. It leads me down a road of not, of, of not trusting God. It leads me down a road of doubt. It leads me down a road of confusion. It always leads me into deeper hurt and deeper pain. 
So it says, seek his will in all that you do, and he will show you which, he'll show you which path to take. So if we seek him, if we're looking for godly wisdom, if we turn our manipulation into observation, and as we pray, if we say, Lord, I'm not asking why, I'm just saying that there is a grander purpose. I know that you never waste a hurt. I was able to share that with somebody this week. I'm often able to share that with people. God never wastes a hurt. If you're in a, in a world of hurt right now, if you are in, in some type of a situation that is way over your head and you can't figure things out, the thing that you can do is trust God in the middle of it. Because you can be convinced that he knows tomorrow before tomorrow ever hits. In fact, I read that when James says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, it, it, it's not a suggestion. It's in the imperative, which means that it's a command. And so when we do, we have this generous, gracious God who desires to pour out, to pour out to us wisdom that we need. And just so you know the word generous, it's an awesome word. <clears throat> it's an awesome word. It means unconditionally, freely, and generously. So a life hack, a life hack for trials and tribulations is wisdom that comes from prayer. So that was easy. Like, we're done early. Let's go to the house. What do you say? I mean, we could take a nap and then go to lunch, right? I mean, this is going to be awesome. Don't we wish it were that simple? We do. But it's not. Because then he says this. But when you ask, you knew there was a but coming somewhere. <laughs> But when you ask, just be sure that your faith is in God alone. That sounds reasonable. Don't you think that sounds reasonable? So you're going to go to God. You're going to ask God for wisdom. And so what you're going to do is you're going to, I don't think it's, it's not a bad request. I think it's a really legit request. But then he says this, do not waver. Oops. Do you feel just a little bit of a, uh, do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything that they do. And I bet right now you're thinking, I knew that it was too good to be true. I knew it was. I knew it couldn't be just as simple as I'm just going to pray and ask my generous God to give me wisdom, and then like he would just give it to me. I knew that there had to be, there had to be a catch, because the problem is I do waver sometimes. I don't want to waver. I try not to waver. I purposely say I'm not wavering, but I find myself wavering anyway. I can remember one time, especially, Karen and I were living in the house that, that before the one we're in now, and, and I remember, I just remember this very distinctly. I have this word picture, I have pictures in my head. And, and I remember walking around this particular area in the house. It was the foyer. I think that's what Karen called it. I'm not sure. It was just this little area right there at the steps. And so I just remember walking around. And I literally remember being so angry at God. Because I had been praying and begging and pleading for God to show up and do something. And he wasn't doing anything. And I remember saying, you know, thinking about this passage out of James. And I said, I wouldn't waver if you would answer. It ain't my fault. It ain't my fault I don't have no faith. I had faith before we started this little endeavor. I had faith. I believe that you could do anything. The God, the creator of the heavens and earth, sweet Lord Jesus, work. But you ain't done squat. And so I waver. 
I don't want to waver. I'm trying not to waver, but I'm wavering. And God, it's got to be your fault that I'm wavering. So what the heck is praying going to do? I've been waiting for weeks to say that. That's good right there, wasn't it? You know the title of this message? What the heck is prayer? <laughs> we didn't put that on the internet. <clears throat> Maybe for obvious reasons. And, I, and honestly, I don't think this is a hard concept to understand. I think it's all about settling your mind on who or what you're going to trust. You can't have a settled mind when you go back and forth. You know what I'm saying is true. It just makes sense. See, the person that is hurt the most from a, from a mind that's unsettled is us. So I can't say, well, God, I know you said this, but I think this is a better way. God, here's the thing. I, I've been talking to some of my friends and and, and quite honestly, as, as I've talked to some good Christian friends, the, the wise counsel from my Christian friends is that this is what I should do. And I know it kind of is contrary to what I really felt like you've led me to do and what your word said to do. But, I mean, these are Christians for Pete's sake. And they say it, so it must be okay. You can't be back and forth and, and have any kind of security and your faith begins to crumble. And the thing of it is, you're going to put your trust in someone or something. So why not put it in God? You should really study history. You really should study church history. You really should. For, for me personally, in the beginning when you study church history and you look at the martyrs of the faith, those people that were slain and persecuted and killed, makes me feel about that high I think Lord <laughs> I've complained over the dumbest things these people were being put to death their family members they watched as their family members were being put to death <clears throat> these early followers of Jesus were settled on who they trusted for example according to Fox's book of martyrs the 12 apostles for example Andrew was crucified. Bartholomew was beaten, then crucified. Now, I'm just saying, if i got a choice, just go ahead and crucify me. I'm saying, you don't have to go through the beating. <laughs> so that's like a double whammy. So do you get to heaven and you say, like, why did I have to be beaten and crucified? James, son of Alphaeus, was stoned to death. James, son of Zebedee, was beheaded. John was exiled for his faith and he died of old age. Judas, not Iscariot, was stoned to death. Matthew was speared to death. Peter was crucified upside down. Philip was crucified. Simon was crucified. Thomas, no doubt in Thomas, was speared to death. Matthias, Stoned to death. And there are hundreds and thousands of martyrs from these years who endured the most terrible of pain. And, and the strangest stories that come down 
about their death. Even, even those stories, even those stories that are recorded by the Romans who killed them. And yes, even, even an unbelieving world, a people that looked on and thought to themselves, these people have to be crazy. Even those people tell us that the most of these men, women, and children who were killed for their faith died with peaceful hearts. Sometimes even singing hymns as they were being burned or dragged by animals in front of, of cheering crowds. Their minds were settled and their faith was deep. So I just want you to have the facts. Jesus had been humiliated, beaten, whipped, nailed to a cross, naked, where he died on display to the public. A spear was thrust into his side to make sure that he was dead. He was buried in a barred tomb with Roman soldiers to guard the tomb, assigned by these religious leaders who did not believe in Jesus, but were afraid that somebody might steal the body because they knew that he said that on the third day he would rise again. But on the third day, in spite of everything, the, to the tomb was open, the guards ran, and the only remaining evidence were the burial clothes inside the tomb that were laying there as though somehow this body just came out of the clothes somehow. And starting that day, starting that day, the disciples, not because they were there to observe, not because they were there because they believed that he would rise on the third day, but starting that day, the disciples said that they saw Jesus physically alive multiple times. And so did at least 500 others. They had lengthy conversations with him. They fished tacos with him. I've been waiting on that one too. I thought that was... All of that after witnessing his death by crucifixion. And when these disciples were ordered to not speak, and they were ordered to not speak, and they knew, and they knew what they did to Jesus, they, they knew that he, was, that he was beaten almost to death, they knew that he had been crucified on a cross, they watched him go through all of that, and yet when they were ordered, you better not speak about this man named Jesus, they said, sorry, we, we can't do it. And it doesn't matter what you do to us. You do whatever you want to. You can crucify us. You can stone us. You can spear us. You can throw us off the top of the temple. Do whatever you want to do. We will not shut up. You know why? Because we have seen the risen Savior. He's alive. He is exactly who he claimed to be. 
So because they had seen the resurrection, the resurrected Jesus, their minds were settled. And they were willing to face incredible, unspeakable persecution, even, even death. And after they faced these uh, difficult days, let's just be honest, they stretched into difficult years. They found their strength and their hope and their wisdom to deal with such times through the awesome privilege of prayer. Wisdom that they gained through prayer. Not manipulation. Not trying to manipulate God to do what they wanted him to do, but through observation. And said, we have seen. We've, we've seen it. Now, what we know is that, that there is a grander purpose. There was a grander purpose in the life of Jesus. It was bigger than we thought. And so you have a grander purpose for my life. And so it's not why. <coughs> it is what. So maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and you've had questions about God. If that's you, then welcome to the human race. I'm glad you're here this morning because you're in a church where you're safe to ask your questions. And maybe the only reason that you're here this morning is even though you've had doubts. You work with somebody. You live beside somebody. You went to school with somebody. There was that person that you saw at Ingalls every week, that cashier, that, uh, the produce person. There was that person that you saw. Maybe it was somebody at school, but there was that person that you saw that was a follower of Jesus, and they went through the most horrendous things in life. And the thing that really that has puzzled you is how they could go through it with such grace. Karen went through cancer. A few years ago. I'll never forget, I, and I've shared this with our growth group this past week. I'll never forget, I heard some other people say, why Karen, of all the people in the world? I mean, Karen and it's, has been, she's always lived such an impeccable, uh, impeccably righteous life. Always been so close to Jesus. Always served him. And somebody said, why? Why would God do this to Karen? You know what Karen said? Why not me? Why not? I'm no better than anybody else. Why not? But we believe that God had a grander purpose. And maybe you're here this morning because you've seen a Christian go through some of the most horrendous things. And somehow their faith has been strong. So if you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus. But you'd like to be. Because you believe that there must be something to this Jesus. He must be alive. He must, have, he must have risen from the dead because it's the only thing that explains what you see in others. If that's you, every head is bowed and every, every eyes closed. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be, then maybe you'd pray a prayer or something like this. Honest prayer. Maybe you'd just say, you know what, Heavenly Father, life is hard. My life is hard, but I've watched those who follow you go through these difficult days with grace and peace and love. So my only conclusion is that you must be real. So today, I'm, I'm humbly coming to you and I'm asking you to forgive me of all my sin. Forgive me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for all my sin. And was raised on the third day. 
And this morning, God, I just want you to know that I'm placing my trust in you. Fill me with your spirit. Give me the strength and the wisdom to live for you for the rest of my life. Everybody look this way. Some of you have been through some incredibly difficult situations. You've lost people that you love. Some of you this morning have gone through incredible abuse. Maybe you've gone through abuse by people that said they were Christian. And you've experienced hurt and pain unimaginable. And you're struggling to understand the why. I totally get it. Jesus and these early Christians can attest to the fact that Jesus is enough. He's enough. And I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine what it would have been like the day after his death. If you'd give up everything, you'd left your family, you'd left your job, you'd give up, given up everything to follow him, I cannot imagine what it would have been like to think, what do we do now? But then on that third day, to physically see a resurrected body. Wow. And then to be able to know that no matter what, no matter how difficult, no matter what I face, he faced death. And what, it, what looked like a loss, what the rest of the world and the Roman government and religious leaders, they thought Satan himself said, we defeated Jesus. He's dead on a cross. He's placed in a barred tomb. But after the resurrection, they can say it doesn't matter. He's never lost a battle. It doesn't matter what we face. Our faith is secure in Him. So if you're struggling this morning as a follower of Jesus, just pray. Pray for wisdom and through the difficult time. Try your best to turn your manipulation. And maybe you're nothing like me. You've never tried to manipulate God. But if you have, try turning the manipulation into observation. And let the power of Jesus change your life.